For those who remain, I would invite you to join me in Jeremiah chapter 36. Jeremiah 36. For those who are joining us online, uh, it would be great if you could leave a little comment there to let us know that you're here so we can track your attendance. And if you have any prayer requests or, or you want to comment on my out, outfit, please let us know. Uh, we'll do everything to make your time on YouTube as enjoyable as possible. If you do not have the ability to comment, just wave. And, and we all know because, you know, YouTube's watching you. Jeremiah chapter 36, we're going to read selected verses from this passage, beginning in the first verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I first spoke to you to the days of Josiah until now. It may be that when the house of Judah hears of all the disasters that I intend to do to them, all of them, all of them may turn from their evil ways so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Nerah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at Jeremiah's dictation all the words that the Lord had spoken to him. And the Lord, Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am prevented from entering the house of the Lord, so you go yourself and do and on a fast day, in the hearing of the people of the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them in the hearing of all the people of Judah who come up from their towns. It may be that their plea will come before the Lord and that all of them will turn from their evil ways. For great is the anger and wrath of the Lord has pronounced against his people. And the of Nerah did all that the prophet Jeremiah ordered about the reading of the scroll and the word of the Lord in the Lord's house. Look with me at verse 21. Then the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elsham, Elshamah, the secretary, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood before the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment. It was the ninth month, and there was a fining fire burning in the brazier before him. And as three or four columns, the king would cut them with the penknife and throw them into the fire in the brazier until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. If you would turn with me back to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31, we're going to read 30, the 30, 31st verse. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with them with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer shall they teach one another and say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. If you know that song, I want you to sing out so loudly that the people on YouTube don't have to endure my words. Let's sing together. All hail King Jesus. All hail Emmanuel. King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. And throughout eternity, I'll sing His praises. And I'll reign with Him throughout eternity. Today is Christ the King Sunday. And this is not a sermon on gratitude. This is not a sermon on on Thanksgiving. This is not a sermon on Christ eats turkey. This is a sermon about Christ being the King. For Christ is our King. And, And Christ the King Sunday is the very last Sunday of the church year. Next week, we're going to gather together and we're going to start a get a five week head start on wishing everyone a happy New Year's. Next week, the year starts over. So, this is me as your pastor giving you and all of the internet permission from this day forward, well, starting next Sunday, to go ahead and say goodbye to 2020. You get to do it five weeks early just from coming to church today. Now, you, you can write 2021 on all of your documents except for your tithe checks. Don't. Don't do that. I mean, some things, right? We got we to gotta be played by some rules, right? The leadership of our church has been putting together some, some events so that this Advent will be an Advent like no other. We figure that it's going to be that way regardless, so we might as well lean into it. We're going to put together some special videos and devotionals that will be dropping into the internet sphere uh, in the weeks to get us ready and prepared. Some special music that was recorded yesterday all to get us ready so that when we gather for Advent this year, we know that it is like none other. We're going to be celebrating the theme, let earth receive her king. And all of our people from from godly play to our teens, to our children, to our adults in service, we're going to be marinating and sitting on that theme, let earth receive her king. And it kind of begins today. For Jesus is our King. All hail King Jesus. And all of the powers of hell and the forces of darkness and the agents of chaos, they can do nothing to stop His kingship. For Christ has already won the battles. He has won every battle that could ever be fought on the cross. He has defeated sin and death and rose again in glory and triumph. Christ is victorious. From the depths of the grave and the pain of the cross, He has been lifted high so that He is the authority, so that at His name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. And my friends, we need to be reminded of that. Today and every day. For there is so much misinformation and disjointed news and internet rumors and Facebook memes that all confirm every bad thought and anxious worry, and they may not be true. But here's the thing, even if they are true, even if everything you read on the internet this week was absolutely true, Christ is still Lord. Christ is our King. And all of that noise serves but to distract and pull our attention away. 
For our King Jesus stands in contrast to all of the earthly kings that buy for our attention and demand our allegiance. We serve Jesus and Him alone, not books or creeds or flags or nation, because all of these things in the earth, all of the things that clamor for our attention pull us away from our one true loyalty. That's not just true for us. I'm not picking on us in the... the I almost said hellscape of 2020, but that didn't seem like appropriate, so I didn't really say that. I I added myself out, right? But then I said it, so that doesn't count. It's not just true for us today. It It was true back in the days of the Bible. The people of God were dealing with all sorts of distractions and confusions. Today we move into the prophet of Jeremiah. Last week we were in, in, in Isaiah. We jumped several generations into the future to going from Isaiah to Jeremiah. It's the late 7th century, early 6th century BCE for those who really care about those things. And Jeremiah is a notoriously difficult book to understand and to read. I, I remember very early on in my pastorate here in Wake Forest, Richard Justice was, was leading a, a group in a Bible study on Sunday nights uh, through the book of Jeremiah. And it was long and it was arduous. Every week we would plow through it because Jeremiah is is just, it's hard. It's not written in chronological order. So that makes it difficult just to read through. And there's all of these political realities and and things that are going on behind the scene. Case in point today. In today's text in Jeremiah 36, there's a man by the name of Jehoiakim who sits on the throne of the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jehoiakim is a bad king. His father named Josiah, he was a good king. He, Josiah had found the scroll of the temple in the temple and, and he had instituted all of these theological reforms. He had, he had kicked out all of the idols that had worked their way into the, the people of Israel's lives. It, it's funny how often the people in the Bible dealt with idolatry. And though we humans haven't really evolved any much, we, we don't seem to, to deal with idolatry anymore, right? Or maybe we're just oblivious the idolatry that sneaks into our lives and Jehoiakim is a is a bad king he he comes in after Josiah and he and he brings back all of the idols he he sets them up and they start having worship for them Jehoiakim's a bad king he he starts making deals with the enemies of God the the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians Jehoiakim's a bad king if he fancied a lady he would kill her husband take her for his own, and then sell her off into slavery. And worst of all, you know Jehoiakim was a bad king because he had tattoos. That's a joke, by the way. He wasn't a bad king because he did have bad tattoos. I, I'm actually thinking of getting a tattoo, but, but Yvonne keeps telling me it'll ruin this perfect physique of masculinity before you. Jehoiakim was so bad that after he dies, the Talmud tells several stories of the very earth rejecting his remains. There in Jerusalem, his skull kept popping up over and over again. It kept with writing on it, like, like the earth refused to have him buried there. He was a bad guy. And it just so happened, while all of these bad things are happening, there is a prophet named Jeremiah, who's sitting there in Jerusalem pleading with the people to change, to stop, to stop going after these idols. Jeremiah sees what's happening. He, he sees the decline, and he also keeps getting these visions, these words from the Lord about how God is just about fed up with it. 
In 587, just a few years after the story in chapter 36 happens, the Babylonians would show up. They will conquer Jerusalem. They will take the people in exile. They will destroy and end the Davidic monarch. That promise that God made to David all those years ago will seemingly be undone or at the very least put on hiatus. And Jeremiah sees it all and he's sitting there on the side of the road with giant billboards saying, stop going that way. He's a prophet. He calls the people back from their wicked way. He, he, he gets into some trouble too. He's there in Jerusalem and, and he goes into the temple and he calls the people a den of robbers. You know, Jesus will say something very similar. He, he's plagiarizing Jeremiah, but he, he, it's okay. He, he can do that. And the people, this is going to shock you, the people don't like being called a den of robbers. The people don't like when the prophet shows up in their midst and tells them they have to change their ways. The religious folk get very upset when prophets show up because prophets speak the word of God. They speak this disruptive, conflicting, destructive word. It goes back to Jeremiah's calling in chapter 1, verse 10, that he was called to pluck up and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And the people really like those last two. We like building, we like planting, we like growth and, and going up, but, but boy, do we not like those first four. Pulling down and plucking up, destroying and overthrowing. Throughout the Bible, the people of God do not want prophets. We, my friends, don't really want prophets either. You guys don't want me to be a prophet. You want me to be a therapist, CEO, or a cheerleader? We want our pastors to be someone who, who conforms to our notions of righteousness, to, to fits into our political ideologies, that, that fulfills our theological projections. projections. Right, right now, in every city in America, there is a road named after MLK. Right? You can't visit a map without finding a road named after MLK. Back when he was alive, and some of you guys remember this, he was not a very popular guy. When he was assassinated, his opinion polling was very, very low. A few times in my ministry, when I've been step called, felt the leading of God to step into that prophetic role, people don't like it. And, and to be honest with you, if I'm just going to be bold, I don't want to be a prophet either. Their retirement plan is not very good. Beheadings, being pulled apart, eaten by wild dogs. I mean, it's not fun being a prophet. We don't want prophets. In Jeremiah 36, all of his friends has abandoned him. He is alone. He has critiqued the social practices around him and called the people to repent, and they didn't really like it. He had preached against child sacrifice and leveled these blistering attacks on the elites and people in power. And throughout Jeremiah, you see his inner turmoil. He doesn't want to say these things. He doesn't want to be the mouthpiece of God. And yet God keeps coming to him and calling him. Now in 36, he can't even go into the temple. He has been banished from the worship of God because of the things that he had said. And so God calls to him and says, write on a scroll. Write the words that I have called you. Write the words that I told you 
back when Josiah was still king, all the way through the decline, write everything that I have ever told you on a scroll. And so he calls a a scribe Baruch over, and there he dictates the very first angry Yelp review. And it is a blistering one. In this scroll, he lays out everything that he had seen, the decline, the coming judgment, and he pleads with the people to repent, to change their ways, to come back to God, because God is always eager to forgive. Baruch takes the letter and he he goes to the temple. And there he waits till a fast day when everyone is gathered and he stands up and he clears his throat and he starts to read. Verse 16 says that when the people heard the words, they turned to one another in alarm. Pahad is the Greek, is the Hebrew. They, they feared, they trembled, they felt dread. And they said to one another, this word is too troubling, we have to get it to the king. It takes a while to work things up the, command of cha- the chain of command. In fact, it's a year. A full year has passed since Jeremiah dictated the stroll, scroll. It's actually right about now. Just late fall, early winter. There's the king sitting in his, the air is getting a little cold. Baruch and, 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 and Jeremiah, they are off hiding for fear of what will happen. And the day finally comes. And you can see the king in his, his lavish winter apartment there before a fire crackling and warm in the brazier. And finally, the scribe comes forward and begins to read these words that had cut the people to their heart, that had filled them with fear and trembling. These words that, that, that made them want to, that called the people to repent, to return from their wicked ways, to leave behind their idolatry and their blasphemy, to turn back to the Lord so that the God's judgment hand would be stayed. And if they don't, ruin awaits. These words that had caused the people to fear and tremble are read to the king. And as the king hears the word, he takes the scroll. And he rips it. God's calamity's coming. The call to repent. The promise to forgive. The Talmud says that as he ripped up the scroll, he would toss it into the fire, and with each line he would say, I am still king. And yet, I am still king. This is one final and definitive no in the face of the Word of God. Of course, it's not the first no. The creation has spoken to the Creator. In the garden, that, that very first man and the woman, they, they said no to who they were created to be. In the plain of Shinar, right there by Babel, as they were building a tower, humanity said no to instruction. There is a long list of, of people who have walked through this fall that we have seen in church that, that looked at the promise of God at all the times that the children of Abraham had said no. The children of Abraham said no with the golden calf and Saul's betrayals and David's failures and Ahab and Jezebel and on and on it goes. 
And even into our day, my friends, it's not the pagans that say no to God. It's not the Philistines and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Assyrians and the Babylonians. It is the chosen people. It is the children of promise. Those who are signed and sealed by the covenant. Those are the ones who say no. Beloved, it is us who gather together week after week, risking the weather and sunburn. We are the ones who say no to God. When God comes to us with those generous, painful words of the prophet, those words that disrupt and discourage and discomfort, those words that convict and step on toes, we like to say, no, I'm, I'm okay, God. I'm very happy going the way I am. I'm fine with my idolatrous practices. I'm okay with my compromised allegiances. I'm good the way I am. It is us who follow lockstep with the chosen people who have gone before us. And it's almost enough for the prophets of God to throw up their hands and go off into hiding. Of course, when the prophets send off their scroll and, and run away for fear of their life, it doesn't mean that God is afraid. It doesn't mean that God runs off and hides. You see, God never lets our no have the final word. The promises of God are not dependent on our faithfulness. That's why back in Genesis 15, Abraham didn't walk through the pieces. The, the broken pieces that, that symbolize the promise of the covenant of God. God is the one who went through the pieces saying, my promises rest on my faithfulness, not on your faithfulness. It's why God didn't come to David and say, hey David, as long as you're a good boy and eat your vegetables and keep your room clean, then you can be king. It's why when God comes to us in gracious forgiveness, that forgiveness is not conditioned on our ability to leave to be faithful. Because we can't. That's why in Jeremiah 31, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. A covenant not written on stone. It's not going to be like that old covenant. This covenant will be written on your heart. This is the covenant that Jesus inaugurated in those words of institution. This is my body, a sign of the new covenant. This is my blood, a symbol of the new covenant. This is how God responds again and again in the face of a people who have been utterly contemptuous of his relationship. A people who have abandoned him, God does not abandon God doesn't take his promises and go somewhere else. God says, okay, I see how you're living. You clearly can't live up to this promise. You can't hold on to it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to fix you. In the words of Ezekiel, I'm going to take out that heart of stone, that heart incapable of change, that heart that rejects the word of my promise, that cold and dead calcified heart, and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. A heart that beats and lives and moves and chains. A heart that flows with blood and life and movement. Jeremiah says that that new covenant will be written upon our hearts. 
This promise of God stands in the face of human stubbornness and human rejection, human sin, and even human death. Because God promises to forgive our sins and remember our iniquities no more. My friends, that promise doesn't wait for you to get your life together. Jesus starts that new covenant surrounded by deniers and fearful followers. Every time we take communion, we we hold up the elements and I say, on the night He was betrayed. It is in the context of betrayal and rejection that Jesus institutes this new transformation. That the foundation of God's exceptions come. Jesus is the good and eternal King who gathers us together and establishes a relationship and fulfills the promise of a new covenant bringing life and joy and salvation to all. And the Word of God comes to us this morning on Christ the King Sunday and says that promise can come alive in you today. That peace And hope of a new life begins not when you pick yourself up and clean yourself off, but when you turn to God in the moment you realize that God will never accept your no. God will always pursue, always come with love and acceptance and embracing. The moment you accept, the moment you receive that grace, the moment you say yes to God's person, Everything changes. If you've been running away from God, if you've been saying that, no. It's time to stop. For God is always more eager to hear than we are to ask. And His forgiveness knows no bounds. And His love knows no end. This morning I'm going to pray. I would invite you, if you're in that place of saying no to God, that you would join me where you are or whenever you are. This may be a day where you say yes to God. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need your forgiveness. May your healing come upon me this day and make me new. Lord, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of saying no. Change me, O God, and make me new. If you have prayed that prayer today, invite you to reach out to me and let me know. For God's healing and forgiveness knows no bound, and His grace is enough this day.